0: You still sound a little bit like a missionary, just but a now bit. you've crossed over to the other oh. side. You're a, you're a missionary for ex Mormons.
1: You're a missionary for Satan.
2: Well, maybe hopefully I'll be better missionary for Satan than for <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> That's true. You weren't very. It wasn't that great.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Hi. I'm Daniel, and I'm the oldest.
2: I'm James, and I'm the atheist.
0: I'm Andrew, and I'm the most hungover today. We're We're brothers. brothers!
2: And this is Mormon Raised,
1: a sibling podcast. Today's episode is called James, the Golden Child.
0: Welcome to Mormon Raised, the podcast where we talk about growing up in a big Mormon family. We're introducing ourselves in these first few episodes, and this one is all about James.
1: Since reading from my journal was so fun in the last episode, I wanted to start us off with another journal quote. This one is from March 21st, 2001. James is an honorable person. Look up good in the thesaurus. He fits all the synonyms. Good, considerate, honest, noble, moral, commendable, well-behaved, etc. He is like me.
0: James, you're like so good. You're like perfect, just like me.
1: (laughs) That's like humble brag. I was a master at the humble brag.
2: You know, I was, I feel like I was a very sensitive kid and I always wanted to do the right thing. One time at scout camp, we were in Wisconsin, you know, blah, blah, blah. They had a vending machine and it gave me an extra can of soda. And I was probably 11 at the time, 12. And so I ran it back to my dad and I said, I got an extra can of soda. I should give it back. And so then I (laughs) gave it back to the like cam counselor. And they're like, thanks.
1: (laughs) (laughs) A scout is trustworthy. (laughs)
2: Yeah. So I nailed it. I was also super into the scriptures in that I would memorize a lot of them. And I was so good that I would win church contests. I don't know if you guys remember that.
0: Nerd alert. Scripture master.
2: Yeah. So there was this one competition where they would read a scripture and whoever found it first would win. And I made it through the regionals and like through the the local uh, until I ended up winning at the... Uh, area level called a stake. And yeah, so I was pretty, pretty smart, pretty good at scriptures. So we all thought you were
1: perfect, but not perfectly perfect. Can I tell the story about the time you did something wrong?
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So one time
1: (laughs) it's the only time in his entire life. So we were like roughhousing, I think. I was probably like 10. I think you were like eight years old.
2: I think I was younger than that, but whatever. We'll take mm, it. No, I it think you- <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, Unfortunately, I don't have a record of the exact date when this happened, but we were roughhousing and I kicked you in the groin and you got so mad. And so I had never said a swear word in my life, but you said, you kicked me in the ass. Wow.
2: No, I don't think I knew what it meant. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I hadn't kicked you in the ass. I had kicked you in the balls, which meant that you didn't know what your ass was. And I thought that was so funny because <laughs> you didn't know what the word ass meant. You were so mad, too. It was like, you're like, it's not because I was laughing. You're like, it's not funny. My ass really hurts. <laughs> <laughs> it's not your oh, It's not your ass.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I'm not the most <laughs> prolific swearer, but I did, uh, I did swear.
1: I'm glad you know what your ass is now. <laughs> this happened last year, I thought.
2: <laughs> I was young. I, I did another rebellious thing too. I I did date a non-member my junior and senior year, which was kind of a no-no in the church. I mean, it was it was definitely looked down on and I got a lot of like passive aggressive comments from mom and dad, but, and also like other members of the converse.
0: I feel like it's fine to date a non-member for a short period of time, but as time goes on, it's like, oh, you know, she's a non-member, you have to, you know, you can't marry her, you have to...
1: I had a non-member girlfriend for two years, and I never got flack for it. Well,
0: that's because they were just happy that you were dating a girl.
1: (laughs) She was Catholic
2: and that was close enough for mom and dad as long as she was a girl. That's funny. I didn't even think about that congruency that I got I got a lot of flack for it, but you just got to skate on by.
1: The standards were different because you were the perfect one. So,
2: I guess. So then I went on a mission, which is when you go for 2 years to proselyte and share the gospel. I was in Buenos Aires, Argentina. And right before I left, that's when Daniel uh, sent me the letter where he came out and said that he was gay. You know, that's an incredibly brave thing, Daniel. But I will say it was kind of at a moment when I didn't have to deal with it. So I just read the letter. Oh, okay, Didn't know that. Weird. All right. And then I just was a brainwashed drone for two years and didn't really have to deal with that information, if that makes sense.
1: You sent me some generic letter saying, like, I love you and everything will work out. Everything will work
2: out, yeah,
1: <laughs> it was like something really generic like that. you did not acknowledge it
2: on my mission, I was very strict, so I would follow I was all about following the rules. I was in leadership roles early on, so I was a trainer after only a few months and was uh eventually got into like mission leadership.
0: How high did you go up? Were you ever a p
2: I was never AP, which is assistant to the president. I was zone leader, so that's roughly in charge of what twenty five missionaries, twenty. Well, it'd have to be an even number, twenty six missionaries ish, twenty to thirty, probably.
0: Yeah, I'd say probably more like thirty, but that doesn't matter.
1: Well, so you've kind of been going through like the like a play by play of the history, but I I think it's going to be important to talk about how you. Felt about things, not just what happened. How did you feel about the church when you were training to become a missionary and off on your mission?
2: So, on my mission, I really felt like I was doing God's work. And I frankly wasn't that good of a missionary as far as what I expected. I expected to be baptizing a lot of people, but I didn't really baptize that many. And I always felt like I, you know, I didn't know why I was being so strict which is honestly probably why <laughs> I wasn't I probably wasn't that fun to be around um, and I was probably very holier than now so you're saying
1: you had to stick up your butt
2: yeah 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 that's pr- probably pretty it and so you, know,
1: you you and Andrew have a lot in common <laughs> oh <laughs> um,
0: thank you
2: <laughs> yeah so you know I was probably uh, you know, I, but I felt like that, and this was true with, with my non-member, uh, girlfriend and any, you know, and throughout high school and while I was on my mission, I always felt like, how could anybody not believe, you know, like once you read the book of Mormon, you, God will tell you it's true. Cause that's just the way it works. And yeah, he didn't really need to tell me it's true because I already knew from growing up, but he he'll tell other people that it's true.
0: Why do you think that you always followed all the rules? not only mission rules but even as a kid why why were you so such a rule follower
2: i think it's just like the, the guilt i felt like there's so much guilt pile on like i honestly felt like anytime i did anything wrong it was like this huge failure It, you know, even so much so that I expanded the commandments, you know, so it's like, God, yeah, you've got God, go, you should go to church and follow the 10 commandments and do good things. But it was also like, oh, God wants me to be successful so I can bring money to the church. So if I wasn't successful, say I wasn't like good grades or if when I was working, if I like messed up at work, It wasn't just a mess up at work. It was like a sin because God wants me to be successful because I'm one of his chosen ones. That's kind of fucked up. So pretty... That's so
1: fucked up.
2: Yeah, so I had a huge weight on my shoulders.
0: Even as a kid?
2: I mean, as far as I can remember, you have to be successful because you are one of God's chosen children. And so like any type of failure was a sin.
1: I do remember feeling like I had to set an example So that other people would see me and want to be Mormon too. But for me, it was less so the perfection as more about like being happy. I thought like, oh, everyone has to see that I'm happy because that's the proof that the church is true is like manifested in my happiness. I'm
0: trying to think I remember growing up even wanting to please people like I was definitely a people pleaser. But I don't ever thought that I like had this weight on my shoulders for following all the rules. I, I don't think that I I did that. Yeah,
2: I guess I think it was uh, definitely exaggerated with me.
0: 100% obedient, 100% of the time.
2: You know, my mission president always, he was like pounded into us that, yeah, 100% obedience. That's the only way to be truly successful. And God will bless you if you're obedient. And, and that it was possible. It was like, yeah, of course it's possible to be 100%. And just to be clear, you know, on your mission there are a lot of rules. You have, you know, time to wake up, and what every hour has a prescribed thing that you should be doing. And if you're not doing it, you're disobeying.
1: You carry those rules around it in a little rule book. We call it the White Bible. That like is I never in called your it pocket. that. Well, anyway, <laughs> not to be confused you... with Daniel. <laughs> So anyway, you carry the rules around in your pocket, like everywhere you go, you have the curfew and the what you're allowed
2: to read and everything.
1: Do you think if you baptize more people that you
0: would be less obedient because you would feel less guilty?
2: Yeah, maybe. Maybe if I was like more, you know, successful in that I baptized more people, I wouldn't have worried so much about it. It's also like a kind of a weird... Uh, cycle too. Honestly, if I were more relaxed, like I think the people who were more down to earth and relaxed ended up being more quote unquote successful. Well,
0: because at the end of the day, it's you're essentially a salesperson, you're a salesperson for the right. church. So for the people that are really like talkative and really outgoing and would, charismatic charismatic those are
1: people good at sales and those are people that are good missionaries and they're not necessarily the same people who are good at following the rules exactly because actually they tend to be like more creative and if you're creative then maybe it's harder to follow the rules with exactness. so basically maybe- hey i
2: was creative <laughs> 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 so while i was very strict on my mission And also throughout my life, I don't know if you guys, what does mom always call me? She calls me the- Peacemaker. The peacemaker, that's right. I
0: did it, I got it right.
2: (laughs) Good job, Andrew. (laughs) I'm very non-confrontational. And so after my mission, I was still tied to that obedience, but I became a lot more progressive. So I was under the impression that, for, for example, so this is when I finally started to deal with Daniel being gay. So I went to some of these like- This gay straight alliance club that was not sponsored by BYU, but done by BYU students. And so I went to this gay straight alliance for a while, and that helped me deal with it and become more progressive. So now I'm all about, yeah, supporting LGBTQ rights and marriage equality, which is a pretty unpopular opinion at BYU at the time.
1: It did take a
0: while, I think, to get you to that. Yeah, this was not right after your mission,
2: definitely i'm am I'm, I'm covering i'm covering my the entire BYU period yeah sorry in order in order to be brief i'm 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 kind of saying gradually throughout the four years after my mission at BYU that's what happened
0: cuz right after right after your mission when you fr- first got back to BYU i feel like you were very religious and re- still really rule following And not progressive, but I I agree by the time you graduated, you were definitely more progressive than a more. Yes. (laughs) But
2: yeah, I was very still very much a rule follower. Do you want to know my favorite uh, story of
0: yours? That I think is so funny it. it's probably not my favorite favorite but when you were dating this girl and it's been like one date or two dates it was very very early on and you paint her a picture like of her face and oh, give it to her yes that,
2: <laughs> that was, was the worst that's the most embarrassing <laughs> thing I've done in my entire life like <laughs> you, seriously the most it was like after that like was right one after date. my mission too <laughs> Uh, two dates or three, maybe. Uh, no. Two. I,
0: I, one or two dates. Can you, know, you paint her a Andrew,
1: portrait? Yeah, I, would be, I would be careful about teasing James too much for this, Andrew, because you used to paint pictures, not of girls you went on one date with, oh, but yeah. of like every boy you were obsessed with in your college dorm.
2: Yeah, every single boy in your <laughs> college dorm had a picture that you painted of them, so
1: yeah well I was sometimes dressed up as
2: superheroes
0: (laughs) I was a repressed in the closet gay man and I needed something you know to be a little creative so you know what they were my friends I'd rather I'd rather do that paint a picture of my friends than of someone I went on two dates with
2: okay okay well I was a repressed heterosexual Mormon so
1: (laughs) fair very fair
2: yeah, you know, I was kind of hoping that that my most embarrassing moment wouldn't come up in a, in a, a public podcast, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, so eventually, I did get to more progressive. So, and and that it was gradually, and it was through this, you know, interaction with the the Gay Straight Alliance, and also an understanding. I, I learned a little bit more about the. History of the church. So, for example, we dealt—you know—in a, in a college atmosphere, you deal a little bit more with, like, uh, dealing with the sexism and the racism in the the historical church, and coming up with some apologetics for it. So, some reasons why it was okay that we were racist and sexist, and we're certainly not now. But
0: of course, not. That would be ridiculous, James.
2: Yeah. So, I think you know that really helped. Get me to a place where I could be definitely more open person. Whereas, like, okay, I'm perfect, but it's okay that everybody else isn't at my level. So then, after BYU, Andrew came out to me while in New York, and we'll save kind of the details of that story. I think for his podcast next time. Is that okay with you andrew yes
0: absolutely and this makes you so excited to listen to our next
2: episode but i will say that i think i handled it a lot better than uh when daniel came out to me and that i didn't ignore it i address it and i was i was definitely of the feeling then more that yeah you can be gay and in the church the church is wrong this this was my opinion at the time or maybe shortly thereafter it's hard you know it's hard to remember but Around this time of my life, I thought, yeah, the church is wrong about gay people, but it'll get there. You know, just like it was wrong about black people and women, but now it's not so wrong about black people and women. It'll get there with gay people.
1: I did tell people for a while that I thought you were going to go on to be like a bishop and then maybe a general authority in the church and that you would help the church become more progressive. So I thought the church would become progressive too, but I thought it would be because of people like you.
2: And I thought that for a while too. I thought, you know, as I... um, As young
0: people start being leaders,
1: as
2: they grow up. Yeah, but here's what I found, and this helps me become a little more disillusioned, but I lost my, my golden child status a little bit. The more progressive I got, the less high callings I got. So I, I used to get leadership positions and then teaching positions. And then as I got a little more progressive and my ideas started getting progressive, I felt like I got like- Demoted? Lower value columns Yeah, callings.
0: Did that
1: make you upset?
2: No, because I was I was getting more progressive. So this is now like, this is almost right before I'm leaving.
1: So how old are you now in the timeline?
2: So now I, I'm, I'm already married um, and I'm 26 or 20. Or 27. Okay. And I, I will back up a little bit. When I was first married to my wife, she's not quite as strict as I am with the rules. And so there were times where she just wanted to sleep in and miss church, which I think is fairly common in Mormonism. But it would make me upset. Like, I got upset that she wanted to miss church. <laughs> uh,
1: those were the days.
2: Oh, yeah. So fast forward to a few years ago when I'm 28, and I was on Facebook, and I came across... I an article that was by Bill Reel, who does a, a podcast called Mormon Discussions. And Bill Reel at the time was still in the church, but he was super progressive. And in it, he was talking about the book of Abraham. So who wants to, to tell a little bit about the book of Abraham?
1: Oh, me, 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 me. So in 1835, a traveling salesman rolled into town with these ancient Egyptian scrolls and no one knew what they were because in 1835, no one could read Egyptian hieroglyphs. Well, in comes the founder of Mormonism, Joseph Smith, and he says, I know what those scrolls are. That's the lost book of Abraham. And so Joseph Smith produced a new book of scripture based on the scrolls and it's now part of Mormon canon. Well, the problem is scholars today can read ancient Egyptian and the scrolls that Joseph Smith bought. Still exist, and it turns out they are actually pages from the Book of the Dead, a very common funerary text.
2: Yeah, because that's the problem. Because in the Book of Mormon are actually these pictures where he wrote down characters and then what they meant. He's just dead wrong. You know, there's very clear examples of how wrong he is when he in this translation. And that was re- when it really hit me that. I I don't know how I never heard this or never thought about it, or maybe when I did hear it.
1: No, pause. James, I knew about this, and I was talking about it. So at this point, I had been out of the church for several years, and I was talking about church history like this.
2: I just don't remember that. And maybe you did, and I was just like oblivious Maybe I thought, oh, it was just part of your gay agenda. I don't know.
0: It's okay. I tune (laughs) off Daniel every time he speaks too. So it's totally okay.
2: (laughs) Point being is I guess sometimes you got to hear something from like a third source, but this triggered me. So then I've researched everything and I went, I listened to all the podcasts. I read all the original documents. I read what the church had to say about it. The church has these essays that go into like, apologetics of reasons why that Joseph Smith might have mistranslated this and it's, he's still a prophet.
0: How do they do that? How, how do they rationalize
2: that? They'll say things that are false. And then they'll also say things like, well, we just don't know, but God knows. And if you read it and you feel good, then it must be true.
1: Yeah. They say it's, it's not a literal translation. It's a metaphorical translation. So Joseph Smith looked at the Egyptian scrolls and He received an inspiration of what happened to Abraham, even if it wasn't literally what's on the page.
0: One thing I think we should point out as well is that the church doesn't want you to read anti-Mormon literature or history, as some people call it.
1: They want you to only read information that comes from their sources, because then they can put their spin on it.
2: Yeah, not even their sources, but their analysis of the sources.
1: So you're learning this history and you're realizing that the ch- what the church says about history is not true. So yes. how do you feel? How how does that feel?
2: It's like this complete betrayal uh from the church's point in that oh my gosh they lied about so many things like i was lied to like there's pictures of how joseph smith did things and the fact that joseph smith only had one wife when he actually had like 50 there were all these things that hit me and it was like oh my gosh this is proof like this is as close to proof as you get that joseph smith isn't a prophet
1: i like to say that it's demonstrably false Like, you can demonstrate that these things are false, these truth
2: claims. Yeah, you can take, I mean, hundreds of truth claims that the church has made and say, oh, this is false because of this, and support it with multiple sources, and even the church's own sources sometimes. I constantly have these arguments in my mind to find more data, because I feel like this strong need to be able to support my decision that it's not true.
1: Well okay that's interesting. You just called it a decision that it's not true.
2: I don't believe you can decide what to believe because it it was almost instantaneous for me. But I feel like that's how other people in the church would see it.
1: What do you mean instantaneous? The
2: Well for me you it's like stopped believing. Yeah, I stopped believing. It felt almost instantaneous. I mean certainly in the matter of like weeks if not days. It went from yeah, this is true but the church is culturally wrong but it's still true in doctrine to no, it's demonstrably false, as you say, and uh, there's plenty of proof. Now it's just a matter of, of how do I validate that to others?
0: Do you think you, you kind of describe it as instantaneous, but has it, wasn't this building up for quite a while? There's been years where yeah, you were I think... getting more and more progressive, more and more willing to listen. Because I think if you got the same information when you were – at BYU or right after your mission, there was no way you would be willing to entertain the idea.
2: That's definitely true. It definitely took you know, a state of mind of willing to accept that it could be false. And in that case, the fact that I thought they were wrong about gay people that being uh, lesser people was something that I accepted. Well, they're probably wrong about that and maybe that led me to see that oh wow it's it's obvious that they're wrong about everything
1: acknowledging that they were that they could be wrong was what opened the door yeah like the fact that they could be wrong about anything in this case gay marriage or whatever gay rights yeah that's what opened the possibility of oh they it's possible for the church to be wrong
2: once i this wasn't true like well what else wasn't true <laughs> And so I I I went down this discovery of how do you determine truth and so I went into like philosophy a lot a lot of like skepticism and stoicism and now I I don't believe that there's a god like I I'd, I'd say I'm I'm pretty strong atheist and not just that oh maybe there's a god I don't know um to yeah there's there's no evidence of any christian god certainly the omnibenevolent omni, omniscient, omnipotent. That God doesn't exist.
1: So if you look up good in the thesaurus, it's not God.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I heard God is a woman. That's what Ariana says.
0: So it took you 28 years to figure out that the church wasn't true. Do you think that's a long time or do you think that happened quickly? What are your thoughts now looking back?
2: It took me let's see i would have been almost almost 29 really but the point being is yeah most of my 20s were spent in mormonism and it does feel like i was robbed a little bit of those 20s sometimes like i just i feel bad for who i was in many regards how judgmental i was in some cases you know that i was strictly obeying these rules that
0: you didn't need to obey just
2: were made up yeah and I don't know, I'm ha- I'm very happy with my life, so I feel like I just feel lucky that my life turned out well, even though I feel like I did, like I was kind of, what's that phrase when you're, you've got like a, a when you're blind, you've got like a, like a sweater over your eyes. Like I felt like I was walking the, through life. The
1: wool over your
2: eyes. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I, I couldn't think of that phrase. <laughs> I don't know why. I was, I had the wool over my eyes and I just felt like it just. Like I opened them, I finally pulled my sweater down (laughs) and I could see and everything makes so much more sense. And I don't have that like overpowering weight of somebody's watching you all the time, judging every move you make. It's it's been a great feeling.
0: Do you feel stupid after realizing all of this?
2: I did for a while. I don't feel stupid anymore. But that was one of the reactions I had was I felt very stupid when I first found everything out.
1: So now that you know all of this history and all of, you know, these facts about the Mormon church, do you share them with other people? Like, do you talk about it?
2: Yes, I I definitely try to. So, well, it depends. I don't bring it up with my parents a lot. Ever.
0: (laughs) Okay, fair. In fact, didn't they find out that you had left the church because Sibling number five stopped going to church and said it was because of you.
2: Yes. So number five and I had dinner and she had a, and this is when I was, you know, a year after I kind of discovered all these things. So I was in my prime like research gathering, new everything phase. And so she's she had lost her voice. Number five didn't have a voice. And she's like, I, I don't have a voice, so you'll have to talk to me for dinner. And we don't live in the same state, so this was like me visiting. And so I was like, all right, do um, you want to know what's been on my mind for the last year? <laughs> and I just... <laughs> went through. And you kind
1: of just unloaded everything. Everything. So the Book of Abraham go yeah yeah so
2: you think this podcast is long i mean it was like an hour and a half of me straight just going through everything well
0: apparently you did a very good job convincing her because she left the church immediately after
2: and then told mom and dad that she left because of what i shared so she's got more um more of an ass than i do i mean balls than i do <laughs>
1: i just want to say i had been trying to work on number 5 for a long time I had shared a lot of the things that you shared with her, but she didn't believe it coming from me. It wasn't until you said it, the golden child, that all of a sudden it was like, oh, now it's believable. And
0: how does that make you feel, Daniel, that she didn't listen to you, but had one dinner with James and she was convinced?
1: (laughs) I feel kind of pissed. So can I just say, I left the church like... Basically, a decade before the rest of you. And it was lonely being the only one. I feel
0: like I left, I left four years after you, not a decade.
1: <laughs> all right. So I'm being a little dramatic,
2: but still. And I left probably nine years after you. <laughs> so <laughs> that's not a, a decade. decade. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'm glad that you all were able to believe. James, if not me. I left
0: before Well, you James. were painted
2: kind of as a black sheet.
0: That is true. She just e- expected you to say a lot of, of things like that, but she didn't expect it from James.
1: I know. Gay agenda and all that. hmm In, In the name
2: of, of the, of the book, book of Abraham, Abraham. amen. amen. Thank you for listening.
1: If you're enjoying this podcast, be a good missionary and tell your friends about it so their lives can be as touched as yours.
2: Follow us on Instagram at Podcast and don't forget to subscribe.
0: The music in this episode is Anthem for the Good Life by Young Presidents, courtesy of Shutterstock, Inc. I have a blister on the back of my butt.